Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Podcast Unlocked. It is IGN's weekly Xbox show. Q4 rolls on. This is episode 616. That's a palindrome because it reads the same way, forwards or backwards. October 11th, 2023 is when we are recording this. I'm Ryan McCaffrey in IGN San Francisco studio alongside Stella Chung. Hello. Hello. We were just talking about food before this. So I'm very hungry. Yeah. We're, it's a pre-lunch <laughs> podcast and you guys are drumming up like Thanksgiving recipes and all kinds of stuff. So it's, <laughs> you're killing me over here. You're killing me. That's right. So we'll, we'll get through the show so we can get some, some food going. Khalif Adams from Spawn on Me. Always a pleasure, my friend. Super, super happy to see you all. Per the internet, I'm not allowed to talk about food anymore, uh, <laughs> from what I've been told, uh, but excited to be rocking with you all here today. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Destin Legary, welcome back. You've been ducking us a lot lately. <laughs> happy to have you back. I, I say that Good lovingly. To <laughs> Good to yeah, see man. you. I, yeah. wrote the, I wrote the column this week. It's yes. all about Forza. And the reason I was out last week is because there was a issue. There was a gamma issue with Forza that I had to correct. So no, it, was, it was for a worthy cause. I know, I know. Not my fault, by the way. It not his fault. With the game engine. <laughs> yeah, so, I, not his I, fault. I liked seeing uh, a very good, very good person, John uh, from John Linneman from uh, Digital Foundry, went went to bat for you on that. Just tried to. I really appreciated it. Yeah, it was because yeah. uh, you know they're we all respect what those guys do, and and you and your team, Destin, have uh, have done a great job of adapting that format for IGN and. And yeah, John was like, hey, it wasn't IGN's fault. It was, it was a thing in the game. Don't worry about it. Um, I just did my huge follow-up, actually, that released yesterday. So go check that one out. I did way more comparisons, including different times of day, rain. I did uh, tests on uh, a, like the wheels where you can actually see the amount of force feedback that you get in oh. ports at default, which is uh, not where it needs to be. You need to adjust your default settings on a steering wheel. Mm -hmm. It's basically a, a consensus amongst the community. And uh, I tested frame rate. Frame rate's just amazing in both of these racing games. Yeah. It's basically locked uh, in Forza in all modes. It's locked almost in every scenario in Gran Turismo, except for like in quality mode, in the rain, with like nighttime. <laughs> like if you throw everything you can, at Gran Turismo 7, uh, you can get frame rate to go down a little bit, but it's really not a super big deal. Both of these games are great. Um, I got super into sim racing with Gran Turismo when it came out last year. I got the Logitech G29, and now uh, apparently IGN had a Fanatec that was in a closet red. <laughs> for, like, producer <laughs> had it in a closet. And I'm like, hey, can I have that? Can I use that? 
<laughs> so uh, I've been racing on that, and it's been really, really fun. And uh, go check out this video. We got Super GT on to talk a little bit about his impressions. And uh, here you can see some of the force feedback settings. I'm using the water bottle because it's hard to convey. Oh yeah, like visually, but you can see the the difference. That's I feel so like smart. Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo is set to six six. They only really have two options. And then you can see the the discrepancy. I feel like GT7 overdoes it, and I feel like uh, Forza Motorsport out of the box underdoes it. <laughs> so everybody's still trying to like land in on their best settings. And uh, I just did a little bit of analysis there. It was is it, it was a lot of work to put this video together. Uh, I was originally just, I was always going to make it, but uh, there was a lot of controversy around the first graphics comparison. So uh, sorry, Ryan. This is just that was like a big effort on my part to get that all yeah. put together after the last one. And yeah, I even did some real world situations. <laughs> I thought that was in the game. When, when you hit the curb, your steering no wheel way. should have some reaction. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's I love so this. funny. Oh my God. Just from watching a, a little chunk of this video without any sound here, if you're watching us on, on video, we're, we've been, our, our awesome producer Red has had uh, your, your footage from your comparison up here for the last couple of minutes while we've been talking. You are a madman for doing this in the very best of ways. Like this is, you mm -hmm. really like went all the way down the rabbit hole on this. And uh, it's interesting to see these two games side by side. I mean, you know, Gran Turismo is older and it's cross-gen, whereas Forza mm -hmm. is newer and it's it's next-gen only. But yeah, they, they both, I mean, I guess fanboys will inherently bring their biases to something mm -hmm. like that and kind of see what they want to see. But just as somebody that loves cars and car games, like both of those games look yeah. fantastic, but in, in strangely like different ways, like the light, you can tell differences mm -hmm. in the lighting are, are kind of uh, apparent there. The saturation in GT7 is just maxed out. And, you know, that's just what Polyphony was going for in terms of their artistic direction when developing the game. Uh, Suzuka is one of the tracks that I went on where at night it's super, super dark in Gran Turismo 7 because they're going more for a realistic thing. And it's terrifying driving around the track at nighttime in Suzuka. But then on the Forza side, they went... Uh, above and beyond in terms of lighting where like you can see the ferris wheels all lit up at night and glowing and they have track lighting all around the whole track and it, it looks absolutely gorgeous uh you know lama is just awesome across the board i am so happy that playstation console owners have gran turismo 7 which is a fantastic game and xbox owners have forza motorsport which i think is a fantastic game go check out ign's review all the criticisms are you know, founded the game just came out yesterday. I don't mean to make the well, whole officially, Forza. yeah, yeah, officially. No, this is a, I've been, it's a big new release, it's it's yeah. the other big first party <laughs> release. So, you're, you're you do not obsessed. need to apologize for talking about it on this podcast. I, I've been obsessed. I think people are being too hard on Forza. I think as time has progressed, though, we're seeing more and more people come around and be like, Yeah, Forza is pretty great because. The, the op-ed I wrote this week is how the, the internet can't seem to decide if Forza is the worst thing ever done <laughs> or the best thing Turn 10 has ever done. It's been very bizarre. And I, I'm not just talking about the fanboy stuff. Like, people that are really into sim racing are all over the board with this game. It's, it's, really, uh, it's really just sort of fascinating to watch it all unfold. And I'm just over here posting my minute 39 lap times multiplayer that I'm super proud of. Uh, 
on uh, Maple Valley. So that's what I got going on. Well, <laughs> you know, it's uh, A, thank you for plugging the weekly unlocked columns that we all take turns writing here. Um, I've probably, as a host, do not do a good enough job of, of promoting those. Uh, they're they're fun to write. Sometimes it's like, oh, what am I going to talk about this week? And then just all you need is that one little kernel of of inspiration to strike. Um, so yeah, you, everybody should be going to ign.com every week. Usually, I think we post them typically on Thursdays is is when that tends to be. So you know, watch Alex the show. Go ahead, Dustin. Down, sure <laughs> yeah. That we keep up with them. <laughs> Our features editor Alex Simmons making making that happen. But uh, yeah, the columns happening every week and. And yeah, you know, with, with Forza, it's turn 10, they have set the bar for the, for the themselves and the industry really high. And so I think it's mm -hmm. fair to, to take a pretty critical eye to Forza Motorsport. And so it's, it's interesting that your column kind of dives into the, the nuances of that from the community's perspective to see, and it's also been a long wait, you know, we've been waiting, gosh, when was seven was it 2017 wait i no i i, think I can't even remember i think it's a contender i think it's here to stay i think turn 10 is going to continue to improve upon it from where it is today and like anybody that's just shrugging it off like it's a nothing burger they're just i i think they're incorrect there are issues with the grindiness of the campaign and such, but I'm, I love it. And the more people are getting in the multiplayer, they're like, oh yeah, this is great. Yeah, like, it, this is really, really good. It was 2017. Good job, Brain. It mm -hmm. still still works sometimes. <laughs> uh, so six six year wait between motorsport. Mm -hmm. We've had uh, we've had a, a, a game of the year winning Forza Horizon in between, and in fact, two of them, <laughs> two, four <laughs> four and five were between Motorsport Seven and the Motorsport platform reboot here moving forward. So yes, please, Destin. Clearly, is just that little snippet. He clearly put a lot of work into that comparison video between Forza Motorsport and Gran Turismo 7. So please go to IGN.com or go to YouTube.com slash IGN and watch it. Give the man a view, for God's sake. He deserves it. He earned it. <laughs> On Forza content especially, because I get to make more of it if y'all watch it. So feed, feed, feed is addiction. We need more Ionic 5 real-life videos simulating yeah. <laughs> video game things from no, Destin. That was, that was the Sonata. Oh. <laughs> I got to get rid of that thing. <laughs> Is that why you weren't afraid to go over a curb with it like you were saying earlier? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It's been sitting in the driveway. And, yeah. I just got to get rid of that old car. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'm going to pivot from Destin to Stella here. Poor, poor Khalif is just hanging back like, am I on this podcast this week? What's I, going no, on? I love it. I'll the water, the water bottle I'll, business is I'll so good. I'll involve him like, in this one. Don't worry. I got you, Kai. I'll, I'll, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> from one newly released uh, first party game that is meant to be a kind of a living platform, sort of a live service thing, if you will, to another that's been out now for almost two years. We're coming up on the two year anniversary oh, of it. Oh, God. Halo Infinite, Stella. Yeah. Season five, we've, we've talked about how 343 has been, been doing the work, just trying to get this thing up to where the community expects it to be, where 343, I'm sure, expects and wants it to be. Mm -hmm. Some good stuff in season five. There is. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, they're 
Gosh, I'm just going through the different embargoes in my head, right? Because there's <laughs> there's one that's already been lifted, but there's another one that goes further into why I think people are going to be really happy with um, season five. So this is why I'm involving Ka in this and also Destin, I guess, um, because we were playing. great. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up. We were playing this. <laughs> we were playing this preview together. Right. And of course, Ka and Destin were like, just, just up on each other's butts on the other team. And <laughs> Every time I turned the corner, I was like, why is it always you two? And of course, listen, on the listen, listen, no hate. I, I mean this with so much respect, but you, my team. You the shit out of those guys. You're oh, I did. Talented. Yeah, no, I did. I was the <laughs> only <laughs> one. I was the yeah. only one killing Destin and Ka because yeah. I would. Yeah. Anyways. So I, uh, again, with the most respect, my team sucked <laughs> so much, but they just did not understand. The, I know Ka gets this too, because they, they were just killing us. And I was like, what are you guys doing? There is an objective. So anyway, <laughs> that also expressed my frustration as to why I don't play multiplayer games as often on my days off. Cause I'm like, I need to relax. This just elevates my stress level. Anyways, yes, very fun. There's this new game mode um, called Extraction, which is super fun. Uh, you go to different points. You have to activate this drill that starts up the extraction points. And it doesn't matter how long your team has held on to the extraction. It matters who has it as the timer oh, runs out. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, man, these little shits would just guard <laughs> the extraction points. And, of course, my team would just be running around like, oh, hey, I want to get the sword. I'm like, no, go for the kills. Go over here. Anyways, it was very, it was very fun. Um, I'm liking this map that we're watching on video yeah. here, too. Yeah, there are two new maps uh, in arena mode, and it's very cool. Um, they're very fun. This one was really good for sniping. Um, Destin got me a few times on this. Uh, and then... The other one is, oh my goodness, I can't think of the names off the top of my head, but it's actually, the map is actually where the Needler was created. So it's the creation nice. uh, place of it, which is really cool. And it looks gorgeous. It has all these crystals. That's where we played Extraction on. And it looks really good. I After this, I actually did play some Halo Infinite this weekend, just, you know, not season, season five. And I was like, oh man, this is really fun. Husky Raid. I am in love with that game mode. It is so fun. But yeah, anyways, um, lots of good things coming in season five. I can talk more about things on Thursday, which I will. Uh, and it's about Forge because Forge is also getting a pretty big update, which I think a lot of people will be happy about. So good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Halo rolling on and uh, Destin's head rolling off his body there, courtesy of Stella. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, oh, I, but... Yeah. No, no, no. I didn't die in that map. Yeah, and that one he didn't yeah, die because yeah. him. Yeah, I was like fifteen zero KD. The, the two things really quickly. First of all, <laughs> well, three things. First of all, it was so much fun to play with you all into multiplayer. That was actually like super super fun. Two, Stella, you did a fantastic job on on the piece that went up on IGN uh, a day you. ago or something like that. Uh, third of all, the footage that was in there was a lot of me dying. I didn't appreciate that at all. <laughs> I had someone, I had someone hit me up on Twitter. Was like, "Oh, I saw your name in all the IGN stuff for the for the Halo thing." Yeah, damn, you got shot a lot, and I was like, "Yeah, I did." <laughs> I saw that when are, it went up. Are we wow, gonna have I'm to? Gonna are we gonna have to start feet, our like, own? Is it gonna on this show? Is it gonna have to be Ka can't shoot? Where's the turn my camera off button? Where's it off? But it, but it's, but it's one of those things that I was like, oh my! It, I remember and have heard the stories of lore about how good Stella is oh, at first-person shooters. 
and I I will not be on anybody else's team anymore. I'm like, yo, Stella, can we partner up? Because you're wrecking people. <laughs> I don't know. You, you and Dustin seem to enjoy holding hands, but you know. We were. We you could so hear I us coming that. down the hallway. We were like, hey, everybody, how you doing? It was so <laughs> annoying. Every time I turned a corner, it was always those two, and I'm like, all right, one of you guys get one of you guys gets a grenade, the other one gets a headshot. Isn't Here you that go. Just teamwork, and you know, you, yeah, Stella's I know. Team was really we'll thing it. I'm, I'm just her after. yeah. I'm like Stella. I don't know what your team's doing. I'm just salty because my team didn't yeah. understand objective based yeah, modes. I was, was like, funny. no. Only one, the only, like repeatedly, even the commenter said, gee, you're getting killed by Parallax Stella a lot on the, uh, on the second map there. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, because she's playing the objective. I don't right. know what was going I'm on. good at the at game. The oh my it's goodness. Good. Yeah. Good. yeah. Uh, it was just unfortunate team balancing. I think I if the three of us yeah. were on the same team, oh, it would be ridiculous. I cannot 1v4. And then we had a bot on our team. I was like, oh my oh, God. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, there he goes again. Yeah, it was good footage though. That I wonder great. how prime 25 year old halo 2 <laughs> skills ryan would have fared against stella i probably you probably still you would have beat the crap out of him but that was that was like that was my, the peak of my like i was not like pro level or anything even close but yeah, i was pretty good back in the yeah. halo 2 days but maybe you could still whip my butt i don't know maybe uh, maybe in halo 2 specifically <laughs> oh where, yeah, yeah where okay. i have all the map knowledge like it's uh, it's like yeah. it's like in my bones at this point but, <laughs> but infinite yeah you've uh You've, you've got us all beat on that one. All right. I'm pretty stoked about season five, though. Just yeah. 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 yeah, you love to see it. Uh, you also love to see Activision Blizzard games on Xbox Game Pass, which appears to be a thing that we will start to see next year. So Activision Blizzard has given the first glimpse of their plans for Xbox Game Pass once the Microsoft deal has closed. More on that in a moment. Saying in a public statement posted to Twitter slash X slash whatever it's being called this week <laughs> that they expect to start bringing their games to the service next year. Quote, as we continue to work toward regulatory approval of the Microsoft deal, we've been getting some questions whether our upcoming and recently launched games will be available via Game Pass. While we do not have plans to put Modern Warfare 3 or Diablo 4 into Game Pass this year, once the deal closes, we expect to start working with Xbox to bring our titles to more players around the world, and we anticipate that we would begin adding games into Game Pass sometime in the course of next year. Khalif Adams, uh, the internet scuttlebutt is that the Activision <laughs> marketing deal on Call of Duty with Sony expires conveniently in early 2024, so uh, how, what do you think? You, you think this is going to be a quick thing? Like as soon as they're legally allowed, we're going to get a, 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 just an avalanche of Activision Blizzard stuff on Game Pass? Or do you think it's going to be more of a kind of a slower drip piecemeal kind of situation? I feel like you need to just do it and get it over with at this point and kind of rip off the Band-Aid for everybody involved, especially us. Band-Aid? Well, I mean, I mean, the FTC Band-Aid has been very large for a long period of time. And I think the scuttlebutt that has continued to kind of push out has been also something that I, I'm hoping for some closure on as well, so that we can kind of move on to what's actually going to happen for players, as opposed to all the legalese and all those kinds of pieces that go along with it. I think it makes sense for them to kind of start to get that ready for the audience as well. You know, having other games that are coming out 
2024 and kind of moving that conversation to what that is supposed to be as opposed to you know are we going to get a deal done and, and and what does that look like i think that just makes it easier for everyone to kind of already understand where the foundation is going to be and then where they can move the conversation to as xbox and as activision blizzard to to focus on the games again because i think a lot of it has been focused on what is bobby Kodak going to do and <laughs> is he going to get a golden parachute and yes. what's going to happen with all those yes like a d all the above on all those things but i think for, if you're a person at home and you are a person who is subscribed to game pass or you're thinking about getting on game pass this will be a, ne- a needle mover for you if you've been on the fence to say okay we know these games are not going to be coming here they already set the precedent let's start to see what happens there and it makes sense for all the folks who are kind of in that fold in that fold to say all right, we can start marketing this in a real way. This can be an actual flag that we have planted in the Microsoft um, uh, uh, marketing uh, campaigns to say like, this is gonna be a thing that's happening and you can expect this coming down the line. So yeah, I'm like, start the process, get it over and done with. But the weird thing is doing this on Friday the 13th potentially doesn't really, (laughs) is kind of a weird (laughs) thing. Yeah, yeah. I was like that. Yeah, I was like, you might want to move that a day or something, at least announce it, because that just feels ominous and bad. But otherwise, yeah, just start the process and get it over with and start moving it. Well, this doesn't explicitly state, nor does it even necessarily imply that that next year's Call of Duty, when it releases probably in late October, early November, will go into Game Pass on day one. But Mm. it's certainly in play, particularly if the Sony whatever, you know, marketing deal arrangement that they've got is expired by that point. So Stella, the, the idea of Call of Duty Black Ops Gulf War, which is not the official name of the game, but it might be because we already had the big leak. We know that this is, uh, what was it? It was the, it was the voice or motion capture actor that like grabbed oh, right. about it. We talked about it on this podcast. I do remember that very. Yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah, I'm in the new Call of Duty game, but it's in the Gulf, set in the Gulf War. Like, wait, what? They went, Shh. yeah. Um, <laughs> he hasn't been seen or heard from since. <laughs> I'm just, you know, somebody check to make sure he's okay. But um, if if Call of Duty 2024, mm-hmm. which is it's Treyarch's game, like I said, it's Black Ops and it's probably actually going to be called something along the lines of Black Ops Gulf War. Yeah. That's going to be a big one, Stella, because Treyarch, uh, the Black Ops sub-franchise is arguably the biggest one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it used to be in Modern Warfare. I would say these days it's, I don't know what the actual sales numbers are, but yeah. anyway. Uh, Treyarch's had an extra year on this. And if it's, if next year's Call of Duty game goes day one into Game Pass, that's like the best case scenario for Microsoft because they'll still make a ton of money on it by from PlayStation players mm-hmm. who will go buy the game as they always do. But there, that's there's really nothing short of it's that and Elder Scrolls Six that will drive like massive amounts of Game Pass subscriptions. I mean, that's that's huge. So it, it's not if it happens. Yeah, if it happens, which I I, I feel very. <sighs> skeptical that it'll be on game pass as one of those uh launch free to free to play games if you have the subscription service i feel like it'll be discounted for game pass owners which is still a great reason to buy game pass but i i don't know i'm having a hard time believing that it would be on game pass like that but 
if it was, I mean, they would still make a lot of money. I mean, Warzone would obviously get updated to be whatever the new Black Ops map is yep. going to look like. So there's a lot of revenue there already because you're going to be paying for skins, battle passes, all that stuff through uh, Call of Duty, which everything links together now. I think they have like one launcher that launches everything. So, you Makes know, you sense. could, yeah. So, um, yeah, they would still be doing fine monetarily. I mean, Destin, what, wouldn't it make sense? Like we looked at, look what happened with Starfield where it goes into Game Pass. It's, I mean, we don't, we haven't heard the new Game Pass subscriber numbers. I don't know when we'll get those, but I suspect Starfield did move the needle. And, you know, anecdotally within the community, we could see a lot of people that, uh, that could get it on Game Pass then to your point, Stella, about the discounts, mm -hmm. went ahead and just paid the 30 bucks more to get the deluxe edition to get the early access. So it's kind of a double dip for Microsoft at that point. So Destin, does, do you see Call of Duty potentially employing that same strategy of, of doing the early release, Game Pass, selling you the deluxe edition with the Game Pass discount and really just raking it in that way? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what they're going to do. I think Activision Games will be on Game Pass. They structured the whole deal around the whole Ubisoft thing so that they would be able to still offer that to their consumers. We've seen the internal documents where they have goals of increasing their revenue substantially over the next several years and hitting a very large Game Pass subscriber number that they've set them for themselves internally. So yeah, I think... A big part of that is putting these games on Game Pass, and they have also laid out that, yes, they will be increasing the price of Game Pass, likely after this goes through, because you're getting a, a massive value add in, in the, the fact that the Activision Blizzard games are going to be in there. I, I said that poorly, but you know what I'm saying. We're with you. We're with yeah. you. <laughs> um, so after reading this, because this... The fact that Activision Blizzard made this public statement on their Call of Duty account prior to the closing of the deal, there's no way that that statement went out prior to the closing of a, of a deal where there's regulatory involvement without that statement being vetted by a whole bunch of lawyers. So- Of course. <laughs> that, that it was clear, it had to be carefully worded and the fact that it's sort of delivered so confidently, like, yeah, this is going to happen and we're, here's our Game Pass plan, means I think we can, we can pretty well take that as, as gospel. Like, because there's just, this is not a social media manager just like talking to one of the designers going, yeah, this, we're, are we doing that thing? Like, oh, I'll tweet it out. Cool. Like, no, this, this has yeah. gone through <laughs> a million levels to get to our, uh, our Twitter feeds. And so uh, reading that kind of inspired me to go, all right, how, what is 2024 looking like for Game Pass? So I'm going to give you a list. So I put together a list kind of focusing on the top heavy AAA stuff. And I, and I did put this out on Twitter and then my awesome followers were filling in a bunch of the the smaller games, but nevertheless notable. So I'm going to give you like a, a pretty big list here. Everything that I'm about to read is day one Game Pass with the possible exception of 
Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, Gulf War, 20, you know, the next year's game, which as we just said, we're not sure on yet for at least for, for 2024, but let's say for the sake of argument that it is, because it could very well be. So day one game pass next year, you'd be getting Call of Duty Black Ops Gulf War, Stalker 2, Avowed, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2024, Replaced, which I know I'm not the only one excited for, Paris has talked that one up a lot, Aura History Untold, Towerborn, City Skylines 2, 33 Immortals, which Destin and I got to play back in June. Oh. Fun game. Yeah, it was super fun. Uh, it was a game I did not think I was going to be interested in at all. And then playing it, I was I like, agree. this is super fun. <laughs> this, uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, and we weren't even playing with 33 players. I think we were, what were we, like six? 20. Was it that no, many? Oh, was it six? No, 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 you're Wasn't right. It? It was it was, far, it was, we were in the less. room, right? It was like six, yeah, yeah. six or eight of us, six to eight, yeah. maybe eight oh. at the most. Um, and then uh, Persona 3 Reload, day one game pass. And okay, this I guess there's we got to put an asterisk on this last one. Only because we have literally heard absolutely nothing about it <laughs> since it was announced multiple years ago, which means it, I mean, it will be on Game Pass day one, but can't promise that it's going to be 2024. And that's Arc 2. So that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That was a dozen games. Now they won't, that's an average of one a month. They won't all, they won't shake out like that, of course, but. That is, uh, that's, those are 12 pretty good reasons to maintain or get a Game Pass subscription. Khalif, I mean, what, <laughs> what, what more can you kind of ask for if you're, if you're subbing to Game Pass at that point when you see a list like that? Yeah, I mean, again, I think that that conversation about like, what does Acti Blizz mean for Game Pass is really, really important because it sets the table for like what you said with this list, even if stuff comes off this list, what does Microsoft want right now? They want more subscribers. They want the ability for folks to evangelize the platform. And what that means in year four of what would be, you know, Xbox being out with its, with its new console, you need every kind of hand on deck to make sure that that is kind of moving in a positive direction, especially with the leaks that we got earlier in this year. And that being a huge demarcation line of like, are we being successful with this kind of uh, work that we're doing here? And again, if you're a player and you've already subscribed, you're like, oh, this is dope. I don't have to think about things. I know I'm just going to get these when they drop and don't have to pay attention to it. And if you're one of those folks who is either, you know, still again on the fence or still is looking for that thing to get you into the fold, you really can't be mad with games like Stalker 2 or Hellblade 2 being in a space where you're just going to be able to get it. I think that's been that big conversation. And I think even if you look at the, <clears throat> the most kind of stringent fanboy conversations about like <clears throat> games that go to Game Pass, this is a, this is a, a, a marker of games not being fully baked and not being that good is that they get put onto game pass as a conversation piece that's happened in those spaces while on the other end of that if you're a person who's already in that ecosystem you're like i am paying monthly and i'm getting value here in ways of things that i'm not having to think about having to pay for in the usual senses that you think of of like i have to drop a 70 dollars 
uh, uh, you know, payment on a thing when it's just going to come into my fold and I just have to worry less about paying for stuff and more about hard drive space. That's what it winds up then becoming about. It's like, do I have enough space on my console for me to play and download all this stuff to be able to get what I want? That changes that conversation in a huge way where, again, moving into the early parts of 2024 and then, you know, even looking at the end of this year for holiday season, this is still going to be that space where folks are still trying to figure out if they're going to jump into what current gen is. And this gives you another way to kind of test games out that you might not necessarily have played before. So I think, again, games, Game uh, Pass continues to just add value to the conversation. It really depends on what your need is and what games do you want to play? Because you'll have a whole bunch of different things you can test out and mess around with. Destin, am I missing any here? For, like likely candidates for 2024? Um, not off the top of my head. It seems like you got I mean, a pretty good list. Inevitably, yeah, there mean, will be more. But yeah, this this is a good start. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I mean, once Activision games get added to the list, you got to think about all the legacy content that's also going to be added with that deal. So um, they already have a great lineup for next year. There's the rumored releases, like the new Doom, right. the the remakes. So it, I, I think they've got a pretty smart lineup going into 2024. Hopefully it sticks. Hopefully there's still some surprises for us ready. And i'm i'm here for it stella what's uh which of these jump out at you that you, that you just you're um, needing, needing to jump into asap oh yeah i mean stalker new call of duty um oh replaced too because it looks really interesting um but yeah i, I mean I, I would say arc too but i mean again we've just <laughs> where is it like, <laughs> what happened it, to that video it game disappeared yeah, yeah. No, no clue. hopefully everything is okay on that one maybe <laughs> they just announced i don't think it. a vow it's going to be 24 i think it's going to be 2025 didn't they, they, they say though early. didn't wasn't i that, don't know it, but they seem pretty early in development so i'm not sure mm, on that one i um, but that that is one that if it is next year that's the one that i'm definitely most interested in i was pretty critical about the art style uh, leading into it and then sort of the the more traditional pillars look that they ended up going with at the end of the day and yeah. they talked about that and why they went that route but uh yeah definitely most curious about that one the games i'm most critical of are the ones i'm most curious about usually hey, so, that's, uh, yeah you you yeah you care that's what's uh yeah. when we that's what we do around here just let's... don't post it on twitter because then oh no you're oh, yeah. suddenly reviewing a game because you just voiced your opinion and it's like no i'm just talking about a game because how else are you going to make the decision if you want to play the game spend 70 dollars and spend more than 70 hours in a game if you don't discuss it and see if you like it but you know i mean these these aren't all 70 dollar games but right. you know 12 games here it, this That's is hundreds, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of dollars mm -hmm. that that you now you know Game Pass isn't free. No, you are right. still paying you know twelve years of Game Pass at the current price is uh you know you've got to factor that in too. But yeah, it's it's kind of hard to to argue against this, particularly if you know. And, and this this list was all just I focused specifically on day one new releases. Mm -hmm. If Diablo four which is on my personal very short list for game of the year right now. Uh, and, and that's been, that's getting seasonal content. That's getting updates. If that in 
six to nine to 12 months from now suddenly goes on to Game Pass, then you've got, you've got another monster game right on the subscription service that you can dive into that's fully baked, totally fleshed out, and has just, you can play it for 100, like 100 plus hours, no problem. I don't even know how much time I've got into Diablo 4 at this point. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it is an impressive Game Pass lineup here that that is uh that's only getting going going to even higher places so you'd love to see it it's it's sort of a weird pivot but i do want to mention there's a news story out today about how assassin's creed mirage is selling well it's selling comparable to where or origins launched and uh, uh some of the other massive games hit and to me that's really uh, I'm very happy to see that because maybe these companies can stop making bloated 100, 200 hour games with just unnecessary nonsense that doesn't really add to the overall experience. It just feels like busy work. And that's been a design philosophy where, you know, developers and publishers feel like they need to offer hundreds and hundreds of hours. So that what they're doing is they're just extending playtime by unnecessarily inflating the grind to level up your character and such. And then here comes Mirage. It's just a traditional Assassin's Creed experience. And it turns out people really like that. Take out all the filler. Just give us the best bits. Give us a really tight, I don't know, I think it's like 16 hours on the long end and 12 on the short end. I mean, like, that's that's a really good sweet spot where you're releasing it at a lower price point. It's, it's less overall game time, but you're generating the same profits. That's a healthier work environment for the developers. That's a healthier work environment for the publisher side of things, I'm, I'm guessing, because they get a higher uh, ROI on the, the investment. And players are digging Mirage. So, like, I, I really like that. And when I look at a game like Avowed and I see the strategy that they're implementing with that, a really tight, shorter experience in that world where storytelling is the focus, it, it does have me hopeful that that game really hits the nail on the head. And games like Hellblade 2 really managed to do that without all the, the extra unnecessary fluff, right? Anyway, I just, wa yeah. I just wanted to bring up the Mirage story because I, I found it interesting now that the numbers are coming out for the release. <clears throat> Yeah, that is a that is a bit of a bit of a different track than what we're on, but it's I agree with everything you <laughs> just said though. I agree with and and okay, if we tie it back, like if we look at this list of 12 day one Game Pass games that are, you know, 10 of which are locks for mm -hmm. day one Game Pass and then the other two were well, I guess 11 of them are, we just don't know if Arc 2 is going to make it next year and then Black Ops uh, 2024 is a, is a maybe, but um yeah, like none of those games are that sort of giant, potentially bloated filler kind of games to keep to just keep players in the ecosystem that you're talking about, Destin. These are these are all pretty focused games. Like, I mean, Stalker 2's yeah. Stalker 2 Avowed, you covered Hellblade 2, Flight the Simulator. Only one maybe would be Ark, but like that's the type of game where you would live in that world anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, like it's, it's designed that way. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Although I, I'd be curious Khalif's opinion on this, because I, I would mm. I want to agree with you, Destin, about <laughs> uh your your sound logic on on Mirage's success. My fear with that or i guess my 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 devil on my shoulder response is that that's not repeatable 
because this was like a one-time, hey, we went back to old school Assassin's Creed and it's been forever and players are like, yes, awesome, I love that. But but there's but that's not something that that if they were to do it again, that people are right. going to be as on board for. I mean, Khalif, am I? You think I'm nuts on that, or or do you think uh, where, where do you look, where do you stand with it? I mean, I think I think there's a, a interesting kind of um, discussion point, kind of semi in the middle. If you look at that big Venn diagram, right, where yeah. Assassin's Creed Mirage gets to do this because it has been an established IP for a while, right? There's a pedigree there that people kind of have an understanding of what this game is supposed to be. So they understand the game flow. They understand the kind of like moment you're supposed to have. They understand what it's like to kind of get to the top of that building, do the synchronization move and you see the camera move and do all that stuff. Like, you know, what's going to happen in that kind of game in a game that is maybe a newer IP. You might have some more of an issue with that. If you say, depending upon the way that the game is marketed, depending upon the price point of that game, that may change the way that the sentiment works from a player perspective, because again, a lot of the players are still trying to battle with, and I think the gaming industry as a whole is still trying to figure out a really good way to market this has been, what is that actual sweet spot for you as a player so that you feel like your time was invested well and that your money was spent well? I think there's still a space there that we're all trying to figure out how that works. I think I do really love what Destin said there because it, what it might do in the re-education of the player is to get that conversation around games as service to be able to kind of sit in a different space that has more space to live because you're having these shorter experiences that give you exactly what you're looking for. So the expectations then change over time about what you should get for your money what does that mean in terms of your own personal value? And then does that give you enough time to, to spend time in the games that you have a lot of, you know, battle pass kind of involvement or longer game time sessions that are involve a more competitive space. So I think it all depends on how does the audience come to it? What parts do they latch onto? And then how does the marketing and the game production then kind of involve that in the decision-making process for games moving forward? So it's a little bit of column A and column B to kind of get you to a good spot where your players are in a, in a, in a, in a good space so they feel like they're getting their money and time's worth. This week's Podcast Unlocked is brought to you by NordVPN. Hey, if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts, NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network, to watch live sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Unlocked without the E. That's N O R D V P N dot com slash U N L O C K D, and that'll give you four extra months 
on the two-year plan. And best of all, there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash unlocked without the E. If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. I do think that we are starting to see the bubble burst or the, the cracks in the games as a service model. People are fatiguing very hard on that genre right now. People are tired of the grindiness of Destiny and they just want to experience, like myself, I just want to experience the story every week. But I have to do a strangely gated mission. And I think Bungie is adjusting their strategy with Final Shape and a lot of important ways and we're seeing hyenas get dropped because the battle royale genre is starting to wane right now epic is having massive layoffs because fortnite isn't as popular as it once once was and you know these things work until they they stop working and i think the players are smartening up and starting to realize hmm a lot of this seems like unnecessary grinding it just feels like a falsely inflated usage of my time to remain seated in this world so that I get converted to be a, a, a customer in the store or whatever uh, happens to be the area where they're upselling customers on things, right? So, so it's a really interesting thing when Assassin's Creed comes along. It's a linear 12 to 16 hour experience and it's selling very well. That, has, that gives me a lot of hope for getting back to just making really solid experiences with way less of the fluff that's just not necessary. I'm with you all the way. Uh, I'm with you. And for, for what it's worth, you know, I, I've said a million times in this podcast now, every year I get psyched about Assassin's Creed and, I'm, and I think, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to play it this year. And then I don't yeah. because yeah. there's something else or, you know, it's just the idea of the 100 hour uh, Valhalla is like, nah, I don't, you know, I'm not even going to bother. I spent, like, I, I, I played the first couple hours of Assassin's Creed Mirage <laughs> this past week because uh, I had a gap in my schedule where I didn't have any meetings. I was like, you know what? I've got, I've actually got time to play a video game here. I'm going to play Mirage. And I had a great time with it. And so, yeah, it's uh, yay for, for exactly what you're talking about, Destin, of, of uh, manageable sort of quality over quantity games. I said this on Twitter and it got a you know huge reaction from a lot of people. It's we it was it's and it's really it's a it's a short pithy version of the the very eloquent way that Khalif just explained it is we just we need to get back to valuing quality over quantity in this industry. There has been way too much of a focus in my uh idiot podcaster guy opinion of of just placing a value on games sheer, 
solely by or primarily by how much time that they occupy of your life. And it's, you know, and, and predictably, I got a few people that responded to me with, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I absolutely, you know, my, my money is limited and I want to get the, the more, the more time I get with it, the, the more value that is. And that's okay. That's fine for you. But that's like saying, if, the, if a movie, like a, that a movie is better because it's three hours long, <laughs> that's, I think everyone yeah. would agree that's ridiculous. A movie is not automatically better. In fact, in many cases, it's, it becomes actively worse if it is not mm -hmm. edited down. And it's just, that we're just putting in every, every scene we shot and it's three <laughs> hours long. Like, no, that's not how, that's not how uh, the, the entertainment mediums work. So um, yeah, I, I am all for, I, I'm with you, Destin. I'm glad to see Mirage off to a good start that, that the, the gaming, gaming uh, community is responding well to less is more when it, with, with a, with a big franchise like Assassin's Creed. I have a quick question though, and I want to, I want to kind of address this to Stella, cause I know you're, you and I are playing a lot in kind of first person shooter spaces mm -hmm. where these kinds of conversations are bubbled up a lot. Are you also seeing fatigue in those spaces as well? Because I think oh, that would yeah. be a space where you see it a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've also been fatigued. So, you yeah. know, it's one of those things of like, yeah, I think a lot of people are realizing, yeah, life service games are really hard for the developers and the players to keep up with. And it's just one of those things of like, if one part tapers off, like if the developers decide to taper off on like supporting the game, players will taper off as well. And vice versa, if players decide to drop the games for, let's say like, Elden Ring or something else coming out, then developers are like, well, do we keep supporting this game or what do we do? So it's one of those things of like, there's such a delicate balance. And that's actually what my last, last week's uh, Unlocked column was about, about hyenas, um, why it was kind of destined to be dead on arrival, you know, which I didn't expect to be dead before arrival, but you know, and then I actually pointed to X Define as being the next thing that could potentially survive. But then obviously we saw that kind of be put on pause and so it's one of those things of like the current gaming environment is very hostile towards specifically fps games that are free to play unless you're already like this established i don't know like company in like call of duty fortnite i mean apex even apex though like we've seen a lot of people kind of dropping off to do other things that are a little bit better for you know their daily lives because it's really hard to keep up with it it's really hard to keep up with everything and it's been really interesting to see all the Titanfall 2 support come in <laughs> seemingly out of nowhere yep. and that player base just massively repopulate really quickly. Um, well, to be fair, yeah, that's because that was long overdue because there were hackers that were just terrorizing uh, Titanfall 2's multiplayer. So people just could not play. And didn't they put it on sale for like two bucks? Or yeah, something? yeah. Like huge, huge Steam sale. It, it was yeah. $3, but that was after the implementation of all the fixes. So it, I, I think there's something more going on there than just they needed to, to patch out those things. The conversations about what's happening with Titanfall 2 are pretty interesting because it wasn't just like they fixed the hackers. They fixed like uh, where you could like glitch and shoot people and not get attacked. And they, they put a lot of time and effort into the update of this, this game that has been out for a very long time. And they're seeing 
pretty significant player numbers return. And, and how old's Titanfall 2 now? 10 years old? No, not that far. Uh, 20. Well, it would be like 16, I believe. Destiny 1 or something like that. Well, it's just unheard of. I mean, they, when this game came out, they didn't, they just kind of shipped it, right? Like, and, and again, when Apex came out, it was not good. Like, they were not aware of how to update a multiplayer game, especially one that's a live service game. So it's like, it's not like these things i think they finally took their learnings from apex and they finally applied it to titanfall because the apex fandom has grown so much that people are like well yeah i want to go back and experience titanfall i never played so people will go back and play that but again because the servers were just unplayable because it just wasn't supported people couldn't do anything and now it's it's finally getting updated and i think they are just diverting some of their teams to be like hey what you learned on apex implement it in titanfall 2 because this could be something as big as call of duty where people still play older multiplayers um in in the franchise so i, I think we're gonna get a titanfall 3 stuff. i don't to. think so i don't think so well it it this isn't an original thought but just while you were talking stella it dawned on me as you are bringing up both both sides of the respawn coin mm -hmm. there I'm not sure there's another developer that that spans the full the polar opposite extremes where they they make first first of all they're supremely awesomely talented developer one of the best in the industry but they made a single player only game in yeah. the form of Jedi uh, Fallen Order and then the sequel Jedi Survivor that has no microtransactions, no DLC. It's just like straight out of 2010, <laughs> where it's just like we shift. Here's the thing that we made, that we made, and that's it. And then they also have the complete opposite end of the spectrum with Apex Legends, where it's a live service thing that has to be continually updated and maintained. It's wild that they they've been so successful at both of those. Mm -hmm. So maybe to feed into what Destin's talking about, maybe Titanfall 3 could be the happy medium that they do next of the two, where <laughs> it's a beautiful single player, but some awesome, not full-blown live service multiplayer that's supported and maintained. And maybe maybe that's how that's how Titanfall 3 can come to be by by merging <laughs> those the, the learnings of both of those sides of the gaming economy, mm -hmm. if you will. That's what it's, uh, maybe I'm just wishing for, it's, you know, it's almost Christmas. I'm allowed to start making my, sure. making my Christmas list. Um, you know, I guess last point on this, and I, I'll, I'll go around the room here. I, it, this whole discussion makes me think about, I wonder how developers and publishers are thinking about the next generation of these kinds of live service games. And the two that, the two examples that come immediately to mind, and it's specifically because these two examples are, are from developers that have done this successfully already. And the two games I'm thinking of are Marathon and The Division 3. Now, they both might still be pretty far away, The Division 3 especially so, because it seems like that was kind of just announced before they'd even properly started full production marathon's probably a bit further along but like we've seen bungie do this technically twice since there was a destiny 2 before they kind of rolled everything into one one destiny umbrella and we've seen uh, uh massive do this twice with division one and division two so i wonder from a from a player retention perspective from a 
from how that affects design to like, just, I wonder how the division three and marathon will, will be different in compared to these, these kinds of things that, that, you know, players like you still have been used to and that you're now starting to get a little fatigued by. Yeah, I would definitely need more information on both games to really be able to make an opinion here. Um, I mean, division three, we kind of understand what, because we have one and two, we kind of know, know what it's going to be like, but marathon, I have no past, you know, affiliations with it. So I'm very curious to see how that'll pan out. Uh, well, in fairness, the, it, it wouldn't matter anyway, because yeah. the originals are, are 1995 oh, okay, Macintosh <laughs> first person shooters. Oh God. So okay. It's not really going to have much in common with the, with the, uh, online, you know, live service yeah. shooter of, of 2025 or 2026, whatever it's coming out. I, I think those games are pretty different. Uh, Division three and uh, Marathon are, are quite different games to be uh, laying together, laying together like that, or pairing together like that. Because one's like a grindy; it's basically an MMO, and the other one's just a shooter that you're supposed to be able to go in, play a game, and then you know extract with your cool gear. Oh, is it Based another extraction? Was marathon. Marathon, I'm not yeah. really Ugh. clear on what it is because they, we've only had a bunch of people talking on couches yeah. in the trailer. So <laughs> I don't know what it's going to end up being, but uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's comparable to the the division experience, which has a well, whole campaign. My, my point was that they're both meant to live for a long time. Yeah. So okay. you know, I wasn't trying to compare them apples to apples in terms of the kind of games they are, but but more just the their their economic goals basically which is to keep players in those games for years and years it's so interesting I because I, I don't feel like the division two did that well so i'm so surprised that a third one's coming out oh, division two did did pretty well did it yeah okay because yeah, i, I feel like when escape from new york came out there was a mm -hmm. pretty massive player base mm. really myself included really in a interesting two. yeah i remember um, destin when it, yeah. it when it came out you were very high on the division two that it had kind of it had uh, it, it, it had done a lot especially really really got players reinvested they did a lot of interesting stuff like i, I went pretty hard on div 2 and uh division 3 is going to have a lot of players interested and there's also the the mobile version which is basically division 2 level graphics on your phone that's going to be coming early or late this year or early next year or something hmm. so division division's not going anywhere and that that formula isn't either there's also an important distinction between the shooter genre right now there's the battle royale genre which is where we're seeing a lot of the fatigue i believe uh versus the traditional first person shooter genre where we're seeing a little bit less of it i still think battle royales are, are quite big still i mean you probably would agree or oh yeah they are it's just hard for any other battle royales to currently exist because the environment's just mm -hmm. really hostile towards any new fps games that come out even and with anything that is just classic you know team-based like mm -hmm. 6v6 4v4 it's still hard for them to come out because division or not division sorry x defiant was advertising some things like that and i mean that's on yeah. pause indefinitely because it's just one of those things of like these new games unless they are already by made by established companies or they're already an established ip like call of duty they're just not going to do well right now. But I think it's a conversation that that in every time that I've had a chance to consult on on projects that have been out in the world that have had microtransactions or have had battle passes or things like that, the 
the biggest conversation is the reason why I talked about that re-education of the player is there is a space in which, of course, teams are trying to figure out the best ways to, to market their games and to find good ways to, to, to implement um, uh, ways to kind of keep you in the loop as, as a game player. But at every conversation I've had across the past couple of years, all of those folks are extremely tuned in to the fatigue of the space. They're extremely tuned in to the want to not gouge players on price and on um, mental sentiment, because that's a big part of the conversation that we saw in the gotcha space and in space of loot boxes and all that kind of conversation about like, does it feel equitable, not only from a legal standpoint, but from a, we want our players to not feel like they're being uh, gambled with in that way. And there's so many folks through all those conversations that have been really, really focused on giving the player a good time and giving you a thing that feels like you're not wasting time while also not being asked to spend all of your money in a space that is just to kind of keep you uh, connected to it. So again, I'll say that as I preface again, this is just because it's clean and I love those folks. <laughs> this is not a statement as me as a former Firewalk employee or any of that stuff. And it's, wild, it's funny that that conversation Sorry, I didn't, came I didn't, I didn't mean up. to make it awkward yeah. for you, my friend. No, it's not awkward. It's not awkward, but I, I have to preface it because I know how the internet yeah. works and they, yeah. will, they will try to connect some red strings for no reason. Well, can they, can but, they, can they talk to you people at Blizzard? Because they definitely did not get that memo, especially with Overwatch 2. Well I, well, I think that's the thing, though, right? I think we're all seeing models change, right? Not only because of the current state of the industry, which is, which is super, super volatile, right? Where a lot of those decision-making processes, when you come into the beginning of the, the, the story about how your game is going to get made and what is, what is that going to mean for, for the external uh, ways that players come to it, some, some folks are still moving in an older model because it's worked before. And now we're seeing that change, you know, slowly over time yeah. to where that is now becoming a different story because of the backlash of even saying games as service now in the public sphere, players automatically get mad at you because I think that there's, again, an, an understanding of their current experiences and the, the, the ways that people have messed it up before. So now we're trying to move to a more equitable, equitable space and that's going to take time. And that takes a lot of folks who are going to be on the marketing sides for whatever game you're going to be, to be able to verbally tell you as a player, why this is bringing you value and why this is not like the last time that you saw mm -hmm. this in the games that you made. So there's a lot of learning that's happening in all of those spaces in development, in the player conversation and marketing that is all re-evaluating and evolving the conversation we see around microtransactions, battle passes, and games of service, but we still haven't gotten there yet because very few teams get a chance to do what Respawn did, right? Respawn had a pedigree of so many things that were in that space with Vincent Pella being at the head of that company and having worked at so many different companies uh, in that ecosystem, that EA ecosystem. Like, he's gotten a chance to see all the versions that didn't work and the stuff that did work in a way that made a lot of sense. And you can implement that on the team when you have that kind of control. A lot of teams don't have that, especially like you said, Stella, with new IP. Because mm -hmm. there's an expectation that you have to come out at the gate. And if you don't come out the gate strong, your game might not even live. And if that doesn't live, then your studio might not live. Yeah, so it's unfortunately, we're going we're gonna to talk about that in our next couple of stories, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is that. a real shame. No, but you're right. It's like, it, it is, as just somebody that's been gaming for, oh God, 30 plus years oh boy yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that is i'm with you oh I'm man you. um but yeah like th that the fact that jedi fallen order and jedi survivor are not just anomalies but 
like needles in a haystack at this moment in time with regard to their monetization strategy that it that there was not a single dollar requested from players after the game was purchased right nothing absolute zero and and you're right i kai i think you're dead on with with vince zampella where you know, and and if if EA leadership above Vince d deserves some credit, so be it. But you you got to figure that that Vince Zampella's success and track record over his career, if the teams came to him and said, you know, yeah, we we don't want to water this thing down with like dumb DLC. You know, not that DLC is inherently dumb, but but we just, we know we don't want to. We just want to we want to tell our story, and that's that. And that. I would have to imagine that Vince had to go to bat for the team with the, the very top leadership of EA and say, hey, this is what we're doing. And this game's going to sell great because the team's going to make a great game. And that has been proven. They've been vindicated on that because those games both hugely successful. But but you're right, Kyle. That's, Star Wars helps a lot. If it's a new IP, that's going to be a much tougher sell to the to EA's leadership, to any major publisher's leadership. So, yeah, hopefully, as circling back to what the, the point Destin was making earlier, uh, and, and you as well, about kind of re-educating players, that, it's, that that is a process that's going to start to happen as these good games that aren't these live service, just constantly reaching into your wallet games, uh, the more success that, that those, you know, more just one and done games monetarily speaking have the the more likely that that uh we that that'll start to normalize again and we won't necessarily find ourselves in this this just long tail monetization future so um yeah the the industry is never dull for for what it's worth it's, <laughs> it's always evolving it's always changing and it's uh it's going to continue to be well, uh, from here on out, I think the news is, I don't know how many of these stories we'll have time for, but it's its basically like all bad from here on out. <laughs> so let's just see. Yeah. Let me see how much time we have here. Uh, yeah, we got like 10 minutes. So let's, I'll, we'll do this next one. And none of these give me any pleasure to for us to talk about. Uh, but this this next one that we'll, we're definitely going to have time for right now is is notable because I'm a huge fan of the of what the studio had done previously and it really seemed like they were they were back and they were going to keep going and and keep kind of the genre that that the original group of developers at this team had had sort of carved out for themselves but that dream may be over here so Telltale Games I have um lovingly referred to them as zombie telltale because it's not the same people entirely. Um, but you know, they were bankrupt. They came back, they were revived, but telltale has undergone layoffs, which one former employee, we don't have full corroboration here yet, but one former employee says it impacted those layoffs impacted most of the studio. The news first circulated on Twitter from Telltale, former, now former, Telltale cinematic artist Jonah Huang, who said that the layoffs took place in early September, he tweeted, quote, 
This is a sore subject, but I feel it necessary to add to the gaming layoff news. Telltale laid off most of us. Uh, it yeah, mo Telltale laid most of us off in early September. The status of the Wolf Among Us two, I can't say due to NDA. And uh, IGN reached out for comment to Telltale, who confirmed that it has undergone layoffs, but did not confirm the number or extent. The corporate statement here was, due to current market conditions, we regrettably had to let some of our Telltale team go recently. We did not take this action lightly, and our commitment to storytelling and finding new ways to do so remains the same. We are grateful to everyone for their dedication along this journey, and we are working to support everyone impacted. All projects currently in development are still in production, and we have no further updates at this time. So um, I'm not going to say that the corporate statement there contradicts what Jonah mentioned on Twitter, but... It does. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's pretty much... I mean... Jonah says most of the studio, which would certainly cast doubt on the the future of The Wolf Among Us 2, which I think was pretty easily the most, you know, nothing against The Expanse, which they did just ship. It's out. Zombie Telltale shipped a, did ship their first project. Um, but yeah, Wolf Among Us 2 was certainly in core gaming circles like ours, very hotly anticipated. Khalif, uh, what do you... What do you make of this? Uh, should we? Is there any hope left for the Wolf Among Us Two? Is uh, where where's the blame here? Should should this have just should they have sat on this game for a few months and not tried to ship it in this window? Like what what do you make of this? The thing that I keep kind of coming back to is the and I found it to be very telling. Right, was in that statement the due to current marking conditions part. Yeah. Right, which is the thing that that. It jumps out at me, and I think we've seen now with over 6,000 layoffs across multiple studios in the past year uh, of, of more people kind of losing their jobs and more projects being being able to not live. And even when they're highly anticipated, like the you know, Wolf Among Us 2, it, it just feels like it's just so hard to know where things are going to go, right? And I feel like even when you look at all of the, the layoffs and the, and, the, and the firings that have happened over the past year there's just so many spots for all of these developers to go and i think that's going to be the thing that is, is is hard is because when you have a pedigree of of amazing games like telltale has made over over its lifetime in both original and even even in zombie version of it where do those stories go where do those projects go is someone else going to pick that thing up i don't think it will i don't think somebody else is going to do it because once you've done that you're also then pulling in all of the tech debt that came in from True. those projects. You're pulling in all the potential ways that you have to mimic the way that the development was happening for that to kind of work. And we've seen projects get handed off to, to other studios to kind of get across the finish line, but they're never the same as what happened in kind of the, the ethos and the kind of um, uh, thing that made it special from the, from the original studio that was making it. So. I don't know, even if it comes out, if it's going to be as awesome as we expected it to be, because it's just not going to have that telltale magic that was in that game to begin with. I mean, never say never. Dead Island yeah. 2 switched developers three times and eventually made it to the finish line and was really good. Yeah. It was a super good, good point. game. Good point.
I want to I want to connect this back to something that Phil Spencer and the Xbox leadership team really said. They talked about wanting to 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 have games like specifically for Game Pass and episodic adventure games could be would seem like, you know, where you're maybe releasing one a month for your monthly game subscription service could make a lot of sense. So if Telltale's in trouble, we're not necessarily, you know, I don't, I don't know what they're, you know, the, the original Telltale just kind of suddenly stopped paying everyone and we're like, we're bankrupt, we're done, sorry, and the doors are closed. So it can happen fast. But would... Would it, could it make sense, Destin, for a Microsoft to come in with the pedigree that Telltale has, with the, with the licensing properties? I'm not saying buy them outright, but maybe come in and, and financially support that to, to try and, you know, get in, and in exchange for not exclusivity necessarily, but hey, we're going to get this on Game Pass. You put, put it on PS5, sure, but could that make I, sense? I, I think something is way out of whack over at Telltale. Just based on the ups and downs of their history with, you know, oh, we're good, we're not good. Um, it's been very a very strange story to follow. So I don't know that Microsoft is gonna be able to come in and give them a gold parachute. They seem to have some pretty significant issues. Didn't like the majority of that team leave and go make the new Star Trek game, correct? Is that correct? That, well, Star Trek, you're, you're referring to Star Trek Resurgence, which yes, is started is, with some former Telltale folks. And that, uh, my understanding is that's a, a fairly small team, uh, I, but I don't, I don't know kind of, that's small is pretty relative. I don't know what percentage or what chunk of Telltale that had been. So, uh, yeah, I guess, I, you know, I, I, in fairness, I don't want to, I'm not dismissing your question, but I also think we got to kind of realize I, that I don't we don't know, know everything. I don't know enough, but I know Telltale has been having a lot of problems for the last several years. So I'm not particularly surprised that, oh, hey, yet again, uh, they're having to lay people off. It's very unfortunate, and I take no, you know, happiness out of hearing that people have lost their jobs, but... I do think that this is part of something bigger that's going on throughout the industry. You have several stories in the run of show today about industry layoffs. And I think this has been unfortunately coming for a long time. I, I think potentially I've seen people discussing that maybe this was an overhiring during the COVID pandemic and now it's course correcting. Uh, there's industry consolidation conversations because of the Microsoft uh, purchase of Activision Blizzard. If a company like Activision Blizzard is looking to sell, that should kind of send a signal to the rest of the industry, like maybe it's not as rock solid as, as we originally thought. I saw a story the other day talking about how some PC games are being developed for like a thousand dollars profit. How does that make sense going forward? How, how do these development cycles continue to make sense where the player is feeling like they're being made into a piggy bank and upsold at every corner possible. Uh, and companies are posting record-breaking profit and re revenue, more importantly, profit, and then they're having to fire a whole bunch of people. Like, how, is, how, is, how are these things continuing to happen? I, I think we're going to see 
And I've said this for a long time. I think the industry is going to consolidate. We're going to see new companies come up. And, and I think we're just kind of living through that scary period right now. Things are going to settle down. Things are going to sort of reset and come to some sort of equilibrium at some point. But right now we're in the tumultuous period where we are going to see a lot of really um, not fun stuff happen in the industry. Stella, you with Destin on this? What's your take on the telltale situation and, and whether or not it pertains to any sort of larger, larger industry issue? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a larger industry issue specifically with telltale, just because, like Destin said, they've been dealing with, you know, problems at that studio for a really long time. I think I know The Expanse was their latest game that they were really pushing, but I feel like maybe just the marketing and advertising wasn't done correctly for this game. And so maybe they lost out on profits, which kind of led to this, because I know this game was pretty anticipated, but within The Expanse's community. And it's one of those things of like, I, I think some people don't even know that Telltale's still alive. I agree with right? you. Yeah, I think there's definitely an awareness issue. Yeah, Absolutely. so so I think it's one of those, it, it's almost like a, a Titanfall and Titanfall 1 and 2 thing where like it was marketed poorly and it just came out at the wrong time and you know, there was a lot of things going on with this. Like I know that at, um because this is also when the actors and writers strike happened, right? And this comes from a show that involves actors and writers. So there could have been some sort of crossover there too, but I don't know. I, 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 I do think that Telltale just has had a lot of issues in the past, so. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you certainly may be correct, Destin. Uh, it's not a sort of zero-sum game, but I, I wonder if the answer might be simpler with specific regard to Telltale, where the new owners of Telltale, who, to be fair, I know nothing about, they might have come in and said, all right, you know what, this, this, this studio, uh, this brand has worked with a bunch of big IPs, we can leverage that, we can monetize that, we can find success there where the previous studio management could not, and they might there might have been a shoestring budget on on uh, the expanse now i think it got a pretty good review on ign i actually should pull it up here to see but um i ryan i just yeah. think there's just so much that has to go into the equation about what's going on with Telltale. There's what's going on in the industry. There's what's happening in the world right now. We're on the brink of a, a government shutdown because our government's about to run out of funding. Like if you start looking at the bigger picture, you, you, we should really just have a financial analyst on the show at some point. <laughs> I, don't th I, don't, I don't think this is like about one game doing well or one game not having enough interest or, or brand awareness of Telltale. I think this is, is strictly a, a, a numbers conversation in terms of uh, profit margins and such where Telltale doesn't have it figured out. If Sega acts the game that is like done, that they just yeah. spent a million dollars. Like what does a booth cost at Gamescom? A million? Too much. Like, they're not cheap. Um, so for them to just pull the plug on that, there's there's other things going on that are, that are way bigger picture than just... Uh, laser focusing in on what telltale is is going through currently it in my opinion yeah i and i, I yeah i hear you i just I, it, it's it's also just as probable because it happened with the original incarnation of telltale where it wasn't the fault of the talented developers that made some great uh, telltale games yeah. uh, and, and yeah we're not saying that with with the expanse either 
but I'm just saying it could not that there aren't macroeconomic condition conditions and larger industry issues, but it could have just been an issue of new management just seeing the board the chessboard wrong and and making the wrong decisions about well number one when to release your game like hey let's ship this thing in the fall in one of the biggest falls in in the last 20 years of games so the entire business world not just in gaming right now is tense and they're nervous about the financial future of of the the country so that is true i I really don't think that all of this stuff that's going on in the game industry right now is is pure purely related to um uh design decisions or uh, a game like not having market interest i think it's just the reality that we're in in 2023 going into 2024 i think it'll get better by the end of of 2024 but right now everybody just seems very tense and nervous about spending like everybody's just holding on to the revenue and profit that they've gotten and they're just going to try and ride through the next year especially the the final word here yeah, I'll say especially, I'll, and I'll double down on what Destin said there. I think you'll, we'll see a really interesting change, especially here in the Americas, uh, went after the election. That'll be a whole other conversation to not have on this show, but I think that'll be <laughs> something that we'll see some some potential kind of you know, hopefully leveling out of of the ship uh, once the election happens too, because that's another big factor that's going to be playing into that's a lot true. of studios here in the, in the in the country too. Yeah, best wishes to all of the affected Telltale staff. Uh, hopefully all of them are able to, I mean, they, they ship something they should be proud of. We did, we gave the expanse a seven out of 10 on IGN called good game. Um, hopefully all of them land on their feet quickly. And just like that, we thought we would, we wouldn't go long this yep. week and we did. And we're out of time. We'll have, to, <laughs> we'll have to save trivia for next week. In fact, so, uh, for our super producer, red along with Stella Khalif and Destin, I'm Ryan. This was podcast unlocked. The palindromatic episode 616. We will see you all again next week. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.